I was a sales rep for a company and I w- it was a small company. I was like the sole guy, right? I was the face of the company. And it was my job to go out and get businesses to have confidence in us and, uh, and delivering. And unfortunately, the, the owner of that company, really nice gentleman, um, but probably not as savvy on the, on the finances <laughs> and hired a lot of, was started hiring people. You know, he basically ran the company insolvent. In, in those days, we would take a 50% deposit um, for customers to buy their hardware software and we would deploy it and collect the back 50%. Well, I was sort of in this hamster wheel where the owner was taking the 50% deposit and spending it on payroll or other stuff or who knows. And so I'd have to go out and make the next sale to collect that deposit so that we could order the hardware from our suppliers. It was, it was just a house of cards that was ready to go down and, and it did finally. You are listening to the Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Harris. And when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the founder of an award-winning real estate investment firm and actively investing in commercial real estate all over the country. This show allows me to interview, dive deeper, and deconstruct many passive wealth principles, not just from investing, but tactics, strategies, and many fascinating ways in which people have achieved levels of passive wealth. Through my nearly 20-year career as a professional investor, I've built an amazing network of people and come across some super savvy investors. Not only do they have a unique stance on the marketplace, but look at the same problems we all face and many times have come up with a simple but unconventional approach to solving them. This is why I'm so excited for this podcast. It allows me to unpack and have a more in-depth conversations with these special guests. Selfishly, It's a platform where I get to ask the questions that would never come up in a normal conversation, and I get a chance to learn and dissect their best strategies, and you get to be a part of that process as well. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversations, and these amazing Passive Wealth Principle Lessons. Travis, what's up, man? How are you doing today? I'm well, Jake. Great to great to see you. How you doing, man? It, it, uh, I'm awesome. Uh, it has been has been a month or at least a few weeks since we were were last hanging out. Yeah, I think it, I was thinking about that three to four three or four weeks. So yeah, it's, time flies and you're having fun, I guess. Yeah did did I just see that you are were you biking across the country or doing something? What were you doing recently? Oh, I'm not that cool. No, definitely not biking across the country. I don't know. We were, um, we were down in Palm Springs for a few, I live up in the Northwest. So I'm Hood River, Oregon. Um, and we have a place down in Palm Springs to escape the gray cold. So we were down there for, for a few months and that's, and that's when I saw you in Sedona. I, oh yeah, but nothing, no, no biking across the country. Okay. Well, um, just so I, I can do and get to the audience. So, you know, I'm just going to ask a couple rapid fire questions so they get to know you and then we'll dive in a little bit more to your story. So where were you born? Uh, Hillsboro, Oregon. And where do you live now? I think you already uh, conveyed that, but. Uh, yep. Hood River, uh, we primarily in Hood River, Oregon. It's a resort town, beautiful resort town, lots of wind sports and mountain biking and kayaking about uh, 45 minutes east of Portland, Oregon. And then we have a place down in Palm Springs. That, that's relatively new. We've had that for about a year. Uh, yeah, I saw some of those pictures of, of the area you sent and I was just like, wow, that yeah, that's great. amazing. It's like, it's oh, wow, so beautiful. For a few years and, and finally came back about four years ago and hope to never leave. So I, I, we, may, we may circle back on that, but just keeping with the, the rapid fire, best book that you've read that other people may not know about. So no best sellers or something like that. Or maybe it's a bestseller, but it's been far forgotten or something like that. Well, I've got two. Um, one's real estate related and one's business related. The business related one really changed my life. And I'm, I'm you're asking, I'm kind of, I'm looking at my bookshelf to come up with the, uh, the author. So we'll have to put that maybe in the show notes or something, but um, The Inside Advantage. And it's a book about um, kind of like what you and I were talking about before we, we started recording. It's about, you know, f- uh, finding your, your niche. If you stand for everything, you stand for nothing. So, you know, what's that? What's that one word? What is it that you stand for? And then how do you, how do you build a whole company around that? And, and we, we did that um, at a leadership retreat when I was building my tech company. 
in like 2015 or 14. And it really sort of helped us get gain clarity on what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and really it starts with exercises on how do you, you know, focus in on your core customer and then how do you build platforms and solutions around that. And so, and that changed the trajectory of our company and made us wildly successful. And, and then on the real estate side, there's a book called uh, multifamily millions by Robert, by, sorry, by Dave Lindahl which isn't as, as popular, but I, I love the book and it really sort of got me out of the small, you know, mul- small multi-unit, small single family houses and moving into the, the larger properties that we invest in today. Awesome. What are you grateful for today? I mean, there's a lot of things I'm grateful for, but my family, my health, um, I'm 44 years old and I, f- I feel a lot younger than that. And um, I mean, man, just look around the world. I'm grateful to be an American, grateful to be in this country and and to have the freedoms that we have. And, and, you know, it's, it comes over the last couple of years that comes into question, not just in, you know, you know, Ukraine and, and Russia, but in other countries, you're looking around thinking, thank God for our constitution and thank God for our freedoms and, and what we have. And it, and um, it really gets, it's, it's highlighted over the last couple, couple of years. Yeah. Amen to that. You know, so, and, and actually this is, this is a great, kind of transition into a little bit more of your story. So I know of you because we've spent some time together. You know, you were in the military, you were in the, in the Air Force. I was in the military. So we kind of connected on that initially. But yeah, I mean, w- what an amazing opportunity it is to live in this country, you know, and getting a chance to see, you know, uh, beyond it is um, I, Agreed. Very, very thankful for the blessings to be living in this country and the freedoms that uh, have uh, been afforded to us uh, for a lot of great people that have gone. So why don't we take this uh, as a chance to kind of dive in a little bit more. How does a kid from Hillsboro, Oregon, you know, build a tech company? You exited it, you know, so I'm kind of given the, 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 you know, cliff notes of it is you sold this big tech company and now transitioning to real estate. So maybe let's dive into that is, you know, that origin, maybe it's the military or something else along that path. But how did you, you know, start out um, your career? Yeah, sure. So I, we moved from Hillsboro to Hood River, our little, our little town, which is a sleepy little logging town, agricultural town, you know, back in the late seventies and eighties, my family moved us out here. And, um, you know, it's again, dad, dad worked two shifts at the mill, you know, and didn't come from a lot and, um, just always was pretty driven was always sort of, I've always been a a different thinker thinking outside of the box, you know, um, an example, we had an intern class in high school and all the kids went down to the, the local telephone company, which was which was where everybody went to take, to learn business. And I went to the radio station and got on, got a job and started my own radio show and, Cause I just, I, I don't know. I just, I've always gotten bored with sort of whatever the path everybody else follows. Um, I joined the military right out of high school just, just to have money for school and, and to see the world, which is the reason a lot of people join in and to serve your country and do your part. And um, I got into telecommunications, so combat communications. So we would land in the middle of nowhere and set up satellite communications and microwave communications and, you know, sort of babysit that for, for several, for several months. I took correspondence courses. This is back in the late, the late nineties. So correspondence courses then were VHS tapes and, and midterm and final exams and that were proctored by a, a chief. And I was able to get my bachelor's degree, um, in the first four years in the, or, you know, enlisted in the military travel because I was deployed quite a bit, a lot of time in the middle East. And, and then my last year in Korea, got the degree, got out, uh, put, put it on the shelf. And that's, that's about as far as about as much use as I got out of that degree, but, but I got it. And then you know, from there, it was just a, a lot, a series of failures, really. I mean, I would love to tell you that I was, I started a social media company at a, out of, um, you know, college and now I'm a billionaire, but no, I, I started my first tele, I, you know, I worked for other people and I got out, I was in the, the IT tech space, um, telecommunications and I networking and, um, I worked for different companies. I started, I started my, tried to start my first company when I was, I think like 23 and partnered with a gentleman who turned out was a workaholic and then became an alcoholic. And so partnerships, by the way, are really important when you're, when you're looking at going into business and, you know, that was a failure and, you know, just had, you know, took on a sales job and, and, um, try to start to start. I mean, I think I tried to start a wine bottle company one time and just like a lot of different sort of, we all have, um, I think, different bones in our, in our graveyard of businesses we've tried. Right. And they say, you got to start like, you know, 
nine businesses to succeed at one. And so I did. And then finally in um, 2009, I was able to start a company with a couple of employees and, you know, didn't have much. I, in fact, I remember I, I borrowed $25,000 against my condo that I was living in that was underwater because it was in 2009, everything was underwater then. And, um, and then I cashed out my life savings of 25 K and I had enough money to, to cover one, one payroll. Right. And, and to, and there's a long, it's a much bigger backstory, but, um, long story short, we grew that over the, over 11 years, um, grew from a couple people to, um, I think when we, when I exited private equity in the end of 2020, we had 70 to 80 employees and we're national, which was kind of interesting because we were a telecommunications company helping customers with their voice over IP voice uh, phone systems or, or call centers, which we call contact centers. And, but we were a virtual company. So we started this company and from the very beginning in 2009 and never, never got an office. And so we were made fun of and, and we overcame a lot of challenges around that. But as we grew it, forced us to really build us an efficient company that was KPI based, that was, you know, ma- you know, managed by metrics and great leadership team, fantastic culture. And, and um, when we, in 2000, the end of 2020, when we were running a process with our business bankers, it turned out that worked out well for us. So we were in the business of helping companies go virtual, but we were also a virtual company that had been virtual for over, you know, 11 years. And so um, our stuff, you know, I just, we look, we looked at the cash that was in the market and we just looked at what we had built and we decided to, to run a process and, and exit. And we sold to a fantastic private equity company out of um, the East coast. And so I'm still a, I think I'm like a 9% owner of the company and I'm on the board of directors, but there's another CEO and they've made multiple acquisitions and, and, um, and they're, they're having a lot of success. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm now kind of a bystander on that. And yeah, I've started investing, dabbling in investing, um, in real estate, single family house. This is before people knew what a house hack was, right? Remember <laughs> all these terms now, the stuff like guys like you and I were doing grow, you know, walled off half my garage. I bought a 700 square foot house on my, on a, on the, uh, the VA loan and zero down and walled off half at eight, eight and a quarter percent, I think was the interest rate or eight and three quarters, which is funny because today people would just pass out if they saw those rates. And, but yeah, rented the rooms out, covered my mortgage, ate ramen noodles. And throughout the years of, you know, my, my tech business, I dabbled in, I'd buy a house generally and move out and keep it as a rental and buy another house, keep it as a rental and buy a duplex, live in one side. You know, I did those types of things, house hacking. And, and then um, a few years ago, started really scaling into multifamily. And, you know, now my, you know, I own a few hundred units, three or 400 units, kind of my effective ownership, but I'm, I'm also JV and partnered with people and I'm kind of scratching on the thousand unit mark. If you, if you approach it that way, mostly in apartment buildings, mobile home parks, and we have a couple of unique, unique stay um, RV park in, in a hotel. So that's my story in a nutshell. There's, there's a lot of nuggets and I, I actually want to kind of dive in on a few of those. So let's go back to, you know, one, uh, first, before we do this, as far as I want to commend you, as far as getting in and taking action and failing, that's, that's to me, one of the biggest things that I think people have a misconception about is that it has to be perfect or you have to be perfect and, you know, go bat a thousand, you know, maybe you started 10 companies before you had that one, one, you know, that, that took off, maybe it was only five, you know, as far as, so success is much shorter and those failures. So, but I do want to dive into on the 2009, the starting of the company and a little bit unpack that, you know, bootstrapping coming in, refinance, cashing out life savings. Talk to me about some of those, that early process, uh, of, of the business. And, uh, you know, t- tell me more about that time period. Yeah. So the story is interesting. I was a sales rep for a company and I w- it was a small company. I was like the sole guy, right? I was the face of the company and it was my job to go out and get businesses to have confidence in us and, uh, and delivering. And unfortunately the, the owner of that company, really nice gentleman. Um, but probably not as savvy on the, on the finances and hired a lot of, was started hiring people. You know, he basically ran the company insolvent. In in those days, we would take a 50% deposit um, for customers to buy their hardware software and we would deploy it and collect the back 50%. Well, I was sort of in this hamster wheel where 
the owner was taking the 50% deposit and spending it on payroll or other stuff or who knows. And so I'd have to go out and make the next sale to collect that deposit so that we can order the hardware from our suppliers. It was, it was just a house of cards that was ready to go down and, and it did finally. Um, and so it was just, like I said, it was just me and a couple of people and I had to make the decision. Do I, do I honor what I committed to these customers? And because I, I did, I, I looked them in the eyes and shook their hands and said, you're making the right decision by going with our company. And, and, um, or do I, you know, I had no responsibility. I wasn't an owner of the company. I didn't have any liabilities. I, you know, I wasn't attached to it or I could have went and got a job and make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and, and been on my way. And, um, it's actually funny. I was not to get into the weeds. You can edit this out if you want to, but I was lay, I was actually floating in the ocean in Maui going, what do I do? Do I, do I, what, which, which path do I go? And, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to call this competitor of ours. And I'm going to say, cause the, the owner was gone. He wasn't returning calls. He ditched the office. I, we were just sitting around me and a couple of employees going that we were getting kicked out of the office. There was a lien on all the assets. There was like nothing we could do. And so I, I said, okay, well, I'm going to call this competitor and I'm going to be able to, I'm going to hand serve him and a silver platter, some really nice contracts of, you know, four or five great customers, a couple of good employees. Like this is going to be kind of a, a real win for this person. And I left a message for him with his receptionist and said, if he, if he calls me back, then I'll, that way I can at least transition his business over to him. And he could honor a few of these contracts where the 50% deposit was gone, but he could at least pick up the second 50, pick up customers and away he goes. And he never called me back. And so I said, okay, well, if he doesn't call me back, I'm going to take, take it myself. And so I got back from Hawaii and wrote the business plan on the airplane, expecting to go into the bank and have him excited to give me money and lines of credit and all that stuff. And a rude awakening, right? That doesn't happen. And that's where we, that's why we went virtual because we had got kicked out of the office. And so we went, we all worked from our house. We set up VPNs. That's a way to connect remote home networks together, you know, back in the day. And we set it up and that's where I said, I, I went to the bank and, I borrowed against my my condo that was underwater, which by the way, as soon as I borrowed that 25,000, they, they froze the loan. They froze my line of credit because they realized I was under value on it. But I, I squeaked out 25K on that and then cashed out 25K. And then what I did is I, I just basically would, I went out and talked to all the customers that had lost their deposit checks. And these were like, some of them were nonprofits you know, that had spent fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 to get a new phone system for their, their, their clinic and, and it was gone. And so... I went and talked to him and said, Hey, here's the deal. I I'm going to make it right, but I'm going to have to come out of this with my own money to basically go buy the hardware software. We're going to install it. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. First of all, be patient because I can't meet your timeline. I got to spread this out. I got to stagger it. I got to do one customer, get paid on the second half, do the second customer, get paid on the second half. And these were all non-profitable jobs. It was just basically break even. The profit was in that, that 50% that was gone of the check. And so I said, Hey, you got to be patient with me on the timeline. And then we'll get this done. And I did. I got it done. We 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 met all the obligations for these customers. Meanwhile, we went and bought. We we closed some new some new customers, which allowed us to make be profitable. And we went out to all the customers that had signed maintenance contracts or service contracts and got them to sign on our paper. And it was, but you know, it was just a handful. It was a handful of customers, and we had no credit lines with our suppliers. We had no credit lines with the bank. In fact, I went in. I wrote that business plan to get a Patriot Express loan doing the SBA. That's if I think that's. If you're ex-military, you can get a Patriot Express because it's quick. And then, you know, after six, six to 12 months, I never got the Patriot Express when <laughs> it never happened. So not so it wasn't very, you know, it wasn't very uh, fast. But yeah, so we just, it was cash in, cash out. And we had to manage every dime of our cash flow. And eventually we grew it a little more, grew it a little more, started making more profit. I actually had a, one, of my, one of the employees, I made a, a business partner of mine to run the operations. Um, and um we just started growing and we started having success. Unfortunately, my business partner died unexpectedly February, Valentine's Day of 2013. So that was that was another sort of you know tribulation that we had to go through and, and challenge. And, and so, but yeah, we grew it organically. We started in Portland, Oregon and, and um, grew that and had really happy customers. And we made a couple of acquisitions. So I learned sort of the, the M&A game and expanded into NorCal and uh, Northern California and, um, and Texas, and then just continue to grow it and you know had a lot of success and um and the rest is history i i i love that story i i love the fact that you you know you're so many things in life are exactly that just making the decision floating there in the ocean and just be like all right you know the easy path take it to a competitor or if they don't call me back like think about that as far as 
your entire life is on a different trajectory if someone is better at returning a phone call. It was, yeah. And, you know, and, and, and keeping in, in the spirit of being a contrarian, you know, all my, this is why, you know, and I love my friends, great friends. All, you know, they all have jobs. They're all in the W2 world. And like, what are you doing, Travis? Because they saw me struggle and I started a business that alcoholic, you know, that failed. I and mean, they saw, they saw sort of me struggle for years. You know, my car leaked. I couldn't fix it. I would have rainwater fall on my head or I had to hold the, the window up in my car door with a piece of, with a stick, you know, and they're like, Travis, what do you, why do you punish yourself? Go get a job, make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, be comfortable. And um, that's just, I guess, it's just not the path I took. <laughs> in hindsight, though, with the family now, I didn't have a family then. I'll, I'll yeah. give myself. How that. long did it take? You know, because I mean, obviously, you're starting out, and like all your work is going to be for nothing. You know, I'm going to take my own money, make it good, take that, scale it to the next, you know, person to the next, to the next, to the next, and so, and then of course, as you got some new customers or some new maintenance clients or some other things like that. But what was that process? How long did that take? you know, maybe from a company is profitable, but then like, when did you actually feel like, okay, now I've made it, I've got some momentum going on that, or maybe, maybe you never felt that, but at least, at least more success was defined for you from when you started to at what point? Yeah. Great question. Never. (laughs) I mean, I've, I've always been, you know, coming from pretty humble beginnings and I've always I think I've been really successful because I'm, I'm like extra paranoid. I'm always, I'm always watching my back and I'm never, I can't get comfortable, which I'm working on, by the way, this is something I'm actually working on. Um, but you know, there, I will tell you, there were, there were some aha moments in building the company that were interesting. So I started out as like, I was the sales guy. I was the sales guy. I was the project manager. You know, I had like a bookkeeper and a couple of, you know, engineers that helped me, but I remember every dime that came into that company required me to go out and find it and sell it and bring it in. And that was very stressful. And I remember there was a time where I was sitting out with my bookkeeper and we're looking at a specific category of revenue, which was just run. We called it run rate business. It was just business that happened that our customers did with us that I had nothing, I didn't even know about. I think one, this was early on, but at one month, it was like a hundred grand. And it was such a relief. I'm like, oh my God, this like, I'm building something that can actually start to generate cash flow and profitability on its own without without me sort of like going out and, and hunting it and, and dragging it in. And so that was huge. And, and but it took me d- damn near half a decade, five years to get a good salesperson. And you know, I finally did. And then I got another good, you know, I, I went through a lot of crappy salespeople. And finally, because I'm I'm too nice in my hiring. And so is it, I have to get people that eventually then do the hiring and firing for me. But I finally got some good people that started to produce revenue. And, and I remember that was the aha moment for me is I'm okay. I'm building something that can start to take off without me. And by the time I sold it, I was working very few hours a week. I had a CFO, I had a CR, I had a great leadership, executive leadership team that all had equity in the company, uh, you know, minority equity and, and like decisions happen. And it, I mean, you know, they say Kiyosaki says that real businesses, if you can leave and come, come back a year later and it's bigger and better. And that's what I built. But I remember I started seeing, and I read, I read Kiyosaki's book years ago and I was always wanting to get to that point. And I remember saying, okay, I'm starting to see things happen here where this is actually working. I got people that I'm, I'm leveraging other, other people's time and it's, it's helping me. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that that's the best way I can describe it. So when, when, yeah, and that's, it sounds like maybe it's five years, but like that run rate, a hundred grand a month that was kind of coming in that you didn't have to go hunt and kill every dollar. What, what part of that was that the five years or. Uh, see, we started in November of 2009 and it was probably, no, nah, I would say probably at 2013 is when I started 2000, end of 2012. I remember that end of 2012, 2013, we're starting to have some. I had a, a good salesperson on. She's actually still with the company. She was starting to produce. And that's where we started to have some, we started to close some good business. We started to have some recurring revenue, which is key in my mind, to every business. And, um, and so I remember, I remember end of 12, early part of 13, because that's when my business partner died. And it felt like just getting, you know, kicked in the gut after, after we started to feel some momentum. And so I, I would say it was not quite, yeah, but I guess in 2009 to 13, yeah, not quite five years. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Look, two of the most common questions I get asked are where can I find good deals to invest into? And is it possible to invest alongside of our deals as a passive investor? 
So my team and I wanted to put together an insider list where you can get first access to investment opportunities, due diligence resources, and best practices for those interested in investing passively into deals like the ones we talk about on the show. Those deals are mostly in the commercial real estate space, but I oftentimes get exclusive access to deals of people like the guest on my show. If those deals pass our criteria, we pass them on to those on the list. To gain access to this insider list, all you have to do is go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. We also host events, dinners, and give away VIP access to events that I'm speaking at or attending. Once again, it's www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. For those that are serious about passive wealth building, we'll see you on the inside. Now, back to the show. So that's, that's I mean, a, a huge, huge thing. I mean, I've, I've heard lots of people talk about, you know, bad business partners or they had to buy the partner out or do something like that. What was that like as far as having a, a partner pass away? It was it was horrible. I mean, Rudy, Rudy was my one of my best friends. Him and I became really close. It was a really sad story. The loss, his loss of life was tragic. I mean, he he was a guy that came from nothing and built himself up, and actually was in a Mexican gang at one point. Um, where he was in a gang at one point, and then um, went to prison, got out, changed his life, and you know, had was having a ton of success and. Um, and it was really, like I said, it was just tragic and unexpected. And so we, you know, we didn't have, here's another little bit of advice for people that want to start a business, get key man insurance. We didn't have key man insurance and he was, he ran all of the operations. He was the delivery side. So I could go out and sell. And so, um, so we had to buy his estate out and, um, and that was, that was a financial, you know, luckily we had a good buy sell agreement in place, which allowed us to sort of value the company um, in a predetermined way and, and handle with his handle his estate, um, through a note. We did, we set it up as a note. So lot, so again, have a great buy sell agreement, you know, but we also didn't have key man insurance. That would have been really helpful because we could have been paid out to pay his estate out, but you know, it sort of put a dent in our financials and we had to sort of figure that piece of it out, but we did. And we moved on. So you're starting to have success. You're growing it, you're scaling, you know, what, what led to the ultimate, uh, exit? Was that, you know, always planned out or how did you, you know, uh, decide that you were going to. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a goal of mine to always start a company and sell it. And I, but it wasn't going to be in this business. I, I had no intentions. I never, you know, when I, I started that first business, um, in 2001, with that alcoholic person, I just said, I'm never going to start a business in this industry again. Cause that was it. And I, and I kind of, for the story, you know, I kind of got forced into it a little bit or, and so, but my plan was, it was going to be a five-year plan. I was going to grow it for five years and sell it. Cause I, I, I just, that, I just didn't have the energy at that point to, to continue on. Um, but you know, five years came and went, we're having a lot of success and we're having fun and, and enjoying things. And then in 2017, I decided to start looking at an exit. And so I started interviewing bankers, business bankers, which that's sort of a fancy term for people that help you broker and sell businesses, but just larger businesses. And so we picked a banker and started working with them. And, um, and this is actually kind of an interesting part of the story. We had a major shift with one of our suppliers that got acquired by a direct competitor, which sort of it, it evaporated several, about $4 million a year in revenue because customers, instead of going with our product would go, with our competitor's product because we got a, and it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was an unfortunate situation. So I actually ran the last two quarters of 17 and the first two quarters of 18, I ran at a, at a loss, four straight quarters of loss. But luckily we had built up enough recurring revenue and that was growing that we we're able to sort of dip out of that, 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 that crevasse and move on. So we had, to, we had to table it and it was a challenge and because I really, you know, because our numbers took a crap. <laughs> so, you know, our businesses are based on EBITDA multiples. And so if you don't have any EBITDA, you have no value in your business, which was also disappointing because we had spent so many years and had gone through so much to get where we're at up to 17 and we took a beating, but we came out of it and had a, just a, a gangbusters 2019. And then, so we re-engaged at the beginning of 2020 with our, our business bankers. Um, and then COVID hit. <laughs> so we thought, 
oh no, wow, this is bad timing again, because no one really knew what was going to happen with our business. Right. And luckily, we, you know, we had no idea. We didn't know if we were going through, you know, this black swan event, nobody knew. And so we, um, luckily we were sort of, we were selling toilet paper to businesses. I would say this is the best analogy. We were in the right place, at the right time. We, we were helping companies be virtual, helping them with their, their cloud-based communications and their contact centers and be more efficient. And we were also virtual ourselves. And so that our stock just went up in 2020. We doubled our EBITDA, doubled our profits from 2019. And so started running a process in 2000, I'm sorry, in July of 2020. And, um, and then exited at the end of, right, literally it was like two days left of the year. I remember because I wanted to get the exit done because we didn't know what the tax legislation was going to be going into 21. And then I spent six months working as the CEO of that for that company. And then we recruited and brought on another. Well, we actually acquired a company and the founder of that company stepped up as a CEO and I stepped down. So, so you retired. I mean, my wife wouldn't agree with that comment, but <laughs> I, I mean, I, I choose to work uh, or I could choose not to work. And I think that's, that's the key. And I do, I do what I love now, which is real estate investing. And, and, um, but yeah, I, my goal is to work, you know, three, three, four hours a day, four days a week. Beyond that, I feel like I'm, I need to, I need to tone down, take, tone it down a little bit. Well, so, and the reason I say that is because I know you're working on something right now. That's kind of your, your next version of what do you do? You know, obviously now when you're on the other side, like you're not going to hang it up. Uh, I, I know you. And it's like, I don't think you would be a good person or a good human if you had to like just sit on your hands or go like, hey, I'm just going to vacation all the time. Again, maybe that is not the case, but I go, I feel like you're somebody that has to go build and do stuff. So what is it that you're now working on? You've now had your own journey and tell me a little bit more about zero to a hundred. Yeah. So we got a couple things going on. I'll get into zero to hundred in a second. We, my a business partner and I, we started a company called Kadia Capital Group. And basically that we specialize in affordable housing assets. We started out and we, you know, buying manufactured housing communities or mobile home parks throughout the country, you know, and now we're getting into some more boutique stay type hotel accommodations. So um, more landlord friendly states, we're sticking to affordable housing and where we live in the West Coast, we're doing more, you know, we're looking at more doing ex- high-end experience-based hotels. So and really, Kadia Capital is we we take on invest some investors. We've done some JV stuff. I've been kind of the primary investor because I have capital to deploy from the the exit, the sale of my company. And so we have we love that. We love mobile home parks. We love multifamily real estate investing, apartment buildings, etc. Um, and um, I'm trying to remember what your question was. <laughs> Just rambling here. No. So as, as you were, you know, retiring and now looking in addition to the next. Great. Yeah. So, so yeah, real estate investing company, and then something we're starting, um, it's called, we're, we're in the final throes of writing a book. Um, we haven't dialed in the title yet. It's something to the tune of zero, zero to 100, you know, how to scale from zero to hundred, you know, rental units and achieve financial freedom in five years. It's very prescriptive. It's very, here's your mindset, you know, here's what it's like to achieve, you know, to, to reach that, you know, here's a, a day in the life, but here's, here's exactly what to do. Here's how to go from zero to something. Here's how to go from something to something else and then how to scale. And it's, I think it really comes down to how do you scale quickly and, and to build that. And I'm, I've always had a passion for education and, and mentoring and helping people. And I feel like I spent the first half of my life learning and building. And, and so this is really, I love this. I have a passion for this and it's teaching other people. We don't have a lot of people in the tribe yet. You know, we might have you know, 30, 40, 50 people that we're engaging with every week. We're posting articles. I mean, like I said, we're in the final throes of writing a book about zero to 100. And so, um, yeah, zero to 100 is exciting for me. Where that's going to go, I don't know. But the fact that we're helping people, you know, there's a lot of education out there that are helping people in broad strokes. Oh, you can, there's the burr, there's the flipping, there's, you know, but we're like very specific getting to 100 units using cash flowing real estate, primarily multifamily cash flowing real estate. And we call it achieving R1. R1 for us is how do you achieve retirement? Number one, retirement. Number one is when you have enough passive income coming in off your investments, that covers all your expenses. R1 could be someone that's, you know, living in their van and they got $1,500 a month coming in on, on passive. And we have a friend who actually hit R1 before, you know, back in his twenties, 
he he bought he did zero down real estate and anyway generated enough cash flow to uh, to basically cover his fifteen hundred dollar a month expenses. Well, he had R one right, and and R one for us isn't really like R one is like it's a maniacal focus on how to get there because you have to get there before then you can decide what to do. Now you have options. Well, maybe I just live the rest of my life on R one and I'm I'm a bum at the beach. Great, or maybe um, I maybe I want to find more rental properties and I really want to scale to a thousand units and build a huge life. Or maybe I want to start a company. Or maybe I want to be philanthropic. Or maybe I want to spend time with my family. The general, the common denominator for us with R one is you go from working 40, 50, 60 hours a week to getting all of those hours back a week. And that's when your life opens up and that's when you have options. And so the whole point of zero to 100 is, is getting to R1 in my mind. I love that. I love that the fact that you have actually done that. I mean, this is a little bit, you know, maybe R1, but even maybe, you know, iterations and multiples of that when you now have this liquidity and the, the, the process on the other side of that. So maybe give a little like a, a teaser of this is the scale. What, what is it that, you know, if you're ready to divulge some of the, the systems that someone would use to go acquire a hundred units and some, some action items, because some of the times that people like that, the, the tactical or the strategy of like, how can I take action? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Well, there's a lot of things in the book. It's pretty meaty, but, um, but I can just sort of just talk off the top of my head here. First and foremost, you, I mean, not to sound cliche, but you have to have the right mindset. There's people that are dabbling in single family properties, which is great. A duplex here, a threeplex here for years. You just, if you want to get to financial freedom in five years, you're just not going to do it with these. I think personally, maybe you, you could, I'm just saying it's, it's a lot more difficult. And so it's, so the first thing is mindset, you know, who, who are you surrounding yourself with? What, what are you in education, right? It's fast education. And then like you hit it on the head, it's taking action. And I think that's where a lot of people stop. And, um, and so one of the chapters in the book is zero to something, do something, right? If you're at zero, do something, do a house hack, get a duplex, tap the equity in your primary residence, refinance. Like there's different, you know, different ways of doing that. Do something because if you don't start with, the mindset, the education, and then doing something, you're, you're still stuck in neutral, right? You're at the starting line. And so we, 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 we focus on that. And then at that point, then I would, t- I call them planting money trees, right? We give examples of, um, you know, and I think we all have this, these examples in our life, if we're scaling, I'm sure you do too, Jake, like where um, you plant a money tree and watch it grow. And then you, you leverage on that and there's different strategies and ha- and the velocity of capital. For example, like we give an example in the book where I had, you know, I bought a condo, I rented it out, you know, for a few hundred dollars a month, extra cash flow, And then I bought another house and lived in it and sold all that. And then built, I bought a historic building, built some apartments in it. Well, it took five years and $500,000 in my capital to then turn that 500 grand into a million. I'm actually in contract on this property, which is great. A lot of people would say, that's fantastic. Well, that sure as heck didn't get me to financial freedom. There's another example where we, we used owner carry and we bought a mobile home park. We took it from sixteen thousand dollars in investment, um, and we bought it for one six, and we're in contract now for three point four. So we took sixteen thousand dollars, turned it into over a million dollars, and we had five thousand plus dollars a month in positive cash flow. And we did that in under twenty four months. So it's sort of changing your mindset and how do you scale that? And then we roll that capital back out and we redeploy it. And there's a lot of examples of how how you can take and in, in the velocity of capital, moving capital in and out of deals and expanding your unit count, increasing your, your cash flow and, and sort of that monthly annuity stream. And so um, we talk about different strategies as far as getting from mindset, education, zero to something, and then start executing these strategies to scale to a hundred units and, and achieve freedom. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, it's, it, it's simple, simple in theory, you know, and obviously I think a lot of people have read the book, rich dad, poor dad, and it was kind of like this illuminating, uh, you know, for me, I'm, I'm kind of living this right now. And I'll, and I'll tell you why is my son started a lemonade stand and he made a hundred and seven dollars and 96 cents in about three hours. He had a goal. He went out there. He made his lemonade. He was able to take off of the, you know, the, the bank of mom and dad and the pantry of, you know, sugar and, uh, and lemons and everything else, uh, off of our lemon tree and made his, this lemonade. And so he had a goal. He 
wanted to make a million dollars or a hundred dollars, not a million. Maybe that's inflation adds to that. Uh, but a hundred dollars and he made it and it took him about three hours. And uh, one, I was super shocked because he came back and he told me, he was like, oh, I got a, you know, it was like 40, I got a 50, I got a hundred bucks. And I was just like, yeah, right. Cause I just totally stepped out of it. Let him do it. Cause I wanted him to kind of fail and, and very shocked that how much money uh, he made hindsight. There's a few things in there. He was not offering change to people. <laughs> so they, they just bring 20 bucks and he's like, yeah, no change. Here's more cups of lemonade. And I was like, ah, upselling. Great. Exact change only. I was like that exists, but he wanted to immediately go spend it on this thing in a video game. And so we sat down and we read the book of uh, escape the rat race. And it's a cartoon book of Robert Kiyosaki's things is like buying assets that cash flow. Something punting a money tree. And then I love the way that you took that and thinking about scale because there's different size money trees. And there's like you can go to the store that's it's already a producing money tree. Instead of planting it from a seed, you can do that in a single family house. And then how long and then what are you going to net? And then five years versus like, I'm just going to go buy an already producing money tree and just go stick it in my backyard, you know? And so to me, uh, that makes so much sense. And it comes down to the elements of don't. And there's a quote that I heard years ago. Don't buy your kids what you didn't have. Teach them the things you wish you learned. And that principle that you just hit on, I want people to, to hear it, to hear it again. Obviously, you know, I know that's a contrarian approach of don't go spend money on college. Don't go buy a, another car. Don't buy these other things. Buy cash flowing assets. Period. That's it. You know, well, I think I think something that I learned, too, in growing my company, you know, I had started from basically from scratch. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of walked into some somewhat of an infrastructure there. But when I went and acquired companies, I hit a lot of scale. I was buying cash flow assets. I was buying companies that had customers and had support contracts. And, and I could actually structure, I was able to use seller carry and bank financing to buy those companies. And I was cash flow positive day one. And so I've, I've taken that into real estate too, of, of that lesson. Another example, another thing to, you know, for listeners to, to take heed is always look at the equity that you have in something. And is it, you know, if you want to retire on R1 and have cash flow, is that equity working as hard as it should for you? A great example is I had a duplex. This is how I got into multifamily. I had a duplex that was cash flowing $800 a month, positive cash flow. I had owned it for 10 years. And I thought that was great. People thought I was a home run. Well, in 2018 or so, when I was having those cash flow issues, I thought I need to make more cash flow. So it forced me to go out, look at everything that I had, all the tools that I had. I had a couple hundred grand in equity in that. And I actually sold it and did a 1031 text effort exchange into that uh, my first mobile home park with Mitchell, my partner. And we take we took $800,000 a month in positive cash flow and turned it to $3,500 a month in cash flow. Same equity, right? But now I could I have an asset that I can force appreciate through NOI improvements as opposed to hope appreciation, which is what anything four units and below are when it's when it comes to market comparable approach. And so yeah, there's an example of like looking at equity going, is this working as hard as it can for me? which is a contrary, you know, cause you're using debt and you're using leverage, obviously responsibly to get as much yield as you can on, on the, the equity that you have in a particular asset or multiple assets. Well, man, I, I it's such, I, I love that. I love hearing that. So interesting to me, the, the way that you think about that is exactly, are you tapping that equity? And how many times are people even looking at stocks or other things like that, that are generating a three, four or 5% return, you know, on their 401k or their IRA or other things. And it's like, I think taking that position of control and then looking at it and understanding you, you hit it on earlier too, is mindset and how much, like, you just don't know what you don't know. I mean, I'm excited for, for this zero to, to a hundred as far as for, or, you know, the version of whatever it ends up being. I like that zero to a hundred as well from a, a naming standpoint is because I think it's going to be so helpful to so many people to just understand that it is possible. Very possible. Very doable. Well, I do want to make sure 
respect your time. Uh, it's a valuable time. Obviously, you're probably worth hundreds of thousands of dollars a, an hour. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, as a R1, 2 or 5 version of retired. But I have, I have one question I'd like to ask um, and before we get uh, to where people can find you. But um, what do you or what does success look like you for you moving forward? Yeah, so that's a great question because I'm right in the middle. Of, we're right in the middle of writing our vivid vision, which is a great book, by the way. On what what does that look like, right? And I think, I mean, I have specific financial goals around cash flow and net worth because those are great. At this point, it's a game for me. I enjoy the game, and so that's just more of a game. But I, I think, but also not being stressed out about that, right? Because I, I find out that people that are always setting goals up they're always in this state of sort of not achieving them or always wanting. And I think we all need to stop and just take a deep breath and look around and, and just be grateful of where we're at and, and enjoy the journey. But for me, I mean, um, you know, you and I have met through GoBundance. GoBundance, I think they've hit it on the head. They're, they're talking about the, the pillars of, I'm going to get this wrong, but they're talking about the pillars, right? And obviously for me, it's financial, which is your net worth. And that's more, net worth isn't as important to me. It's more of just like, not even an ego thing. It's just, again, it's like, um, it's a score. It's just a game. It's, 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 it's how we keep score and it's fun, but cash flow affords the lifestyle that I want. And that's basically to be able to be, you know, location independent and financially independent, which I've pretty much been able to achieve, but also to be really healthy. Um, you know, the, the health pillar and go bonus is important. Are we, are we, are we healthy? Are we eating well? Are we working out, um, genuine relationships, you know, with my wife and my kids and my close friends, um, genuine contribution. This is a time for me to be philanthropic with my, my money, as well as, um, giving, you know, mentoring young people. Um, what am I missing? Jake, help me out with a bucket list adventures. I want to have fun. I want to play in a band, a crappy cover band. I'm a drummer and not a good one. I want to do that. I want to, I want I, I live in an amazing area where I want to be able to mountain bike and kite, kite surf and do the types of things that this area has to offer. So I want to have a lot of fun. I want to travel the world be location independent, make lots of money, have fun doing it, enjoy the journey. I don't know if I'm hitting it on the head, but those are the sort of, I'm always sort of segregating my life into those different buckets, but also just stop and be happy where I'm at because entrepreneurs and type A people like you and I were always wanting to achieve. What's the next step? What's, what's this week's goal? What's this quarter's goal? What's this year's goal? What's the three-year goal? And that's great, but it can also be a bit of a detriment if you're not careful. Yeah, well, I think you should just keep playing full out because I think you give permission to a lot of other people. You show and model what is possible. Um, I, I just want to really appreciate you for that. You walk in that path gives other people the understanding that it's possible to have that, to have the health, the 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 wealth, the relationships, the independence, um, and you know the little nuggets that they may gather or garner from that or just your proximity and energy as a whole and the way that you show up is it resonates and a lot of people you know uh, really really appreciate that i know i do and um and obviously why why we're doing this call now is i really appreciated the times that we've got to to hang out and it's it's to me i believe something as a friendship that will be carried forward for for many uh, many years in the future, as well as, you know, families and other things that we can continue to, to share in. But, you know, I, you and I have this relationship. If there's other people that are looking to connect and find where, uh, where you're doing stuff, where can they reach out to you? And then, uh, and the ask would also be is what is something that they can do to bring to you as a value? Because oftentimes people reach out just to reach out, but like, what is it that you're looking for? And then if there's something that they can help bring into your world. <laughs> Great question. So first of all, thank you for your comments. I'm honored to know you and, and look forward to getting to know you more throughout the years and um, consider you a great friend already. Um, Mitch and I both do my business partner. And so um, appreciate that. My Instagram handle is the real Travis Dillard. And you know, that Instagram's new for me. I've spent my the last decade working on business to business marketing. And so the the B2C or the consumer type marketing with social. I'm I'm old apparently and I'm I'm slow. Hopefully by the time this thing publishes, we're putting out some educational videos on that Instagram feed. 
But if you go to the link tree on that, you'll also see, you'll, it'll take you to the Cadia Capital website. We're kadiacapitalgroup.com, the C-C-A-D-I-A group.com, and then zero to 100 tribe.com. And, and that's on the link tree too. So the real Travis Dillard. So go on there, please join our, our community, invite people. Right now, we're just trying to get more people to join the tribe. Um, we're offering a ton of great value um, on how to get to that 100. Um, those 100 units and, and achieve R1. So yeah, I guess what I'd ask is just come join. And then when you join, contribute, talk about your experiences, ask questions. It, right now it's kind of Mitch and I talking to, talking to a lot of people and then listening, but it's nice when people can hop on and contribute. Um, and then it's, yeah, I think that's the value that people provide is just start engaging. And we want to grow that, that, that community quite a bit. And, you know, on the very tactical stuff, we're always looking for deals. <laughs> it's, it's hard right now, you know, finding good deals. We're very, we're very picky. We're always looking for deals that we can buy and get it to a nine cap within six months, six to 12 months and a 15% plus cash on cash, which is hard these days. They're out there. So, you know, right now we've got lots of capital we need to deploy. We just need good deals to deploy it into and, and, um, and then join the tribe and, and, and just collaborate with us. We'd love, love to hear from you. Awesome. Travis, I appreciate you and uh, look forward to when we get to connect up again soon. And uh, hopefully, you know, by the time this does uh, launch out there, there's um, uh, inundated of, of people that have joined your your tribe and continue to grow that. Uh, again, cheers. I appreciate you, brother. Uh, likewise. Thank you, Jake. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If the episode made you think of someone, go ahead and take a screenshot and share this episode with them. You can tag us or find us as a podcast at Catch Knives or me personally at Jake.RealEstate. For those investors that are listening to this and want to be able to take advantage of distressed investing opportunities, a perfect place to start is my best-selling book, which also happens to be called Catching Knives. It's a full breakdown and guide on how I and many of my partners take advantage of opportunities in distressed commercial real estate. Go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and grab the book there as there's a few book bonuses that I know you'll love. Once again, www.catchkniveswithans.com. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode.